0: Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington. Comedywham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy, including those passing through Austin, even on a virtual basis. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, and an events page for live shows in Austin and Houston. If you're a comic in those cities and want to sh- want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click submit a show to complete the short survey. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the national comedy scene one of the Oh, I always tripped up on this because my line is make Austin the best comedy scene in the country. But if I'm talking about national, that doesn't work. Plus, our comic is from New York. So it really doesn't work because that's a whole global scene in itself. All right. Anyway, so uh, if at this point you still like this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it. Let's get started. Today, uh, we're talking to a comic who got his start in Louisiana, then migrated to Chicago before landing in New York. As I alluded to, he is a uh, Just for Laughs New Faces alumni. His debut album, I Like You, was released in 2017. He's performed on Conan and Jimmy Fallon. He is the writer. He is a writer for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And he's got an eponymous podcast that he co-hosts with his fellow comic, Logan Nielsen. And we're actually recording on the heels of his follow-up album, which is a music comedy hybrid called Elusive, A Mixtape. And now, Comedy Wham presents our guest, Josh Johnson. How's it going? (laughs) It's going good. I know, that's very long. (laughs) but you have some pretty impressive credits. So, you know, I wanted to make sure people, people knew who you were.
1: Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. I, it's weird. I I don't know if those help because I feel <laughs> like credits only matter to comedians. Yeah. Like, like when you say just for laughs in Montreal, people are just like, oh, so you've been to Canada, you know, it's not like a, it, it doesn't, it doesn't always click.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a very, uh, you know, this isn't like you're talking to somebody at Vulture or Paste, you know, this is a very niche podcast that, that only talks to comics. So, you know, the, presumably the audience actually does care about, about those credits. Uh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine your audience will, I just, yeah. I, it's funny. Cause even, even going up on stage, sometimes the host is like, what do you want me to say? And I'm like, they won't know. <laughs> okay like
0: right yeah yeah a the general care. audience yeah for sure so i actually want, want to start off with something uh, I, only i consider amusing uh, but i'm sure you have had to deal with it a little bit in your career as, as a comic is the first josh johnson that i ever met was the fort worth-based josh johnson <laughs> so i had to learn about the new york josh johnson a few years after having met that one so uh, yeah. it is uh, and i i was listening to i was listening to a podcast with you or maybe i was reading an article and you made like this passing reference to uh your website used to be called the real josh johnson or something like yeah, that yeah yeah and i i'm sure it's different for you because you you know you're in new york and you've got the the high profile credits but as you were making your way uh up the the comedic ladder if you will is that something that just like you really had to fight with the fact that you know there's two comics same name well there's
1: i i i'm honestly i'm not totally sure because i've only heard of the third one once but there's even a third
0: Oh gosh!
1: so it's it's yeah it's something that I don't really think about that often actually like like there was probably a couple times where I was like oh yeah that is that is odd (laughs) but then you know past that it's like I feel like all three of us have been on such different paths that it wasn't like I never really thought about it that often you know yeah, it's, it is strange, though, and I and it's funny because there's a couple of comics who have told me stories of people who share their name as well and, like, any sort of confusion or anything that, like, goes into that.
0: Yeah, we, we actually have a, a local Austin comic who shares a name with a, a New York comic, and the one here in Austin has kind of made some subtle changes to his stage name to, to try to, you know, distinguish himself, I guess.
1: Yeah, you got to put a letter in between or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you yeah. know, because co- comedy is such an individual sport in many ways. Yeah. You just, you know, it's your name. It's your identity and you just go with it.
1: Sure, so. sure. I mean, I feel like some sometimes, though, it's like one person is just, like, too big to reasonably contend with. Like, Michael B. Jordan made the right move. <laughs> You know, it's like, sure. No matter how good of an actor you are, oof, oh, that's that's a that's a hurdle to climb.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> well, Josh, it's a, it's a privilege for me to get to talk to you. I usually start these off not with talking about people with your name, but uh, talk, I have an icebreaker question,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that is one word to describe your past.
1: Um, oof. Probably, probably awkward. Yeah. I, yeah, I imagine it, it. it's not that it's not awkward now, but I, it it's taken me a long time to like learn how to be around people in a way that I'm the only one that feels awkward now. So now
0: oh.
1: <laughs> when I tell people that I'm anxious or I have all this other like social stuff, they're like, really? I didn't notice. I'm like, that's taken a lot of work. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and you're definitely around uh, a lot of people now. I mean, New York—that's a lot of people to be around.
1: And yeah, it's it's an insane amount.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and you grew up in Louisiana, and I think from uh, some of the things that I've watched of yours, a fairly small town in Louisiana.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Alexandria is like—I—I I haven't even checked what the official numbers are, so i'm sure we qualify as a city but like the the feeling is not very city-esque
0: yeah what what was your start in in comedy was it something that that happened when you were in your childhood or uh, what got you to start a comedy
1: um At- yeah i get i've always loved it and i always was hoping that I could make it a job in some way. But I think that for the most part, you know, my grandma was always very funny. And then um, in Louisiana, I didn't do that much comedy. Like Chicago is where I really started and was going up consistently and everything. But I think that like, for the most part, I'd have to say that mm, weirdly enough, the times I was doing comedy were the only times i felt like I was being clear enough to be understood. And so it was like this weird thing where it was in in my everyday life, I would have an idea or I would see something a certain way and I wouldn't be able to explain it very well. And then, or if I was able to explain it, people thought I was joking and then like actually performing and expressing some of those same ideas, but now it's the, the avenue is for, you know, joking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: then i think that 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 really helped um and i think that happened early on because i was lucky enough that the first few times that i performed weren't all that bad like a lot of my bombing stories came later
0: hmm. so you did you i i'm culturally ignorant so i have no idea how close alexandria is to a bigger city that would have comedy. Did you get to do comedy in Alexandria? No, I got to do my
1: high school talent show like two times. Oh. But not like, not comedy and not like really performing.
0: Okay. Then,
1: um, what's another, what's, oh, okay. So I guess when I was in college, I also did my college's like open mic night or something. Uh And then I got a guest spot at a club once or twice. So by the time I moved to Chicago, I had performed all of like five times, you know? So it definitely wasn't enough to like move with confidence on. But, uh, But at the same time, I was kind of lucky in that by the time I moved to Chicago, it was all so pent up that I didn't really experience any burnout for like really the first few years. Like I, I don't even think I had like maybe I'm romanticizing it a bit, but I don't <laughs> even think I had burnout when I was in Chicago because it's it's kind of what I waited my whole life to try to do. So even though I had a day job and even though I wasn't that good yet, I had just been waiting for something like this to, to, to happen where. In Chicago, you can get up, at least before the pandemic, and I'm sure after everything has been back to normal for a while, so maybe in a year or so.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even in the open mic arena, you you can get up three to four times in a night. So it's like going from not being able to do any comedy to being able to do as much as I want, you know, upwards of performing 20 minutes every night, you know, through through how many open mics I could do much less when I started actually booking shows. So now I have three or four shows every night. So now it's like upwards of half an hour to 40 minutes of performing. And so, you know, it it just felt like another world. And honestly, it wasn't until I moved to New York where then the opportunity was so much that I was like, oh, okay, I can see how somebody burns out. Like I can see how somebody gets like stressed out and is almost there's almost too much opportunity to a certain degree. Like, because here... You know, they've they've done documentaries about it, about like certain comics trying to do like 15 sets in a night or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever that number is. But the fact that you could comfortably do four every night and like four long ones, like 15 minutes each is like, that's that is already a lot. And so, you know, I'm kind of grateful that I didn't grow up in New Orleans or something where I could have had opportunities to to dabble because I don't know if I would have been as gung-ho and taken it as, as, as seriously when I finally got the opportunity if I had got more than just a little taste of it almost once every other year,
0: yeah. you know? So Chicago for you is a little bit like a kid in a candy jar that there's so much that you can yeah. take advantage of. And then layer on top of that, the, the talent that you have lets you pick up all of that stuff. And it's interesting you're talking about the the burnout in in New York and uh, you know the the person that is burning themselves out at, at, at trying to to hit five mics or sets in a night. I mean, if they're really really good, they're they're going to just start headlining things.
1: Yeah, and also I think that there's as far as for me. The thing I've always experienced with comedy, but with really any artistic endeavor, is that there's not the same ladder that you find in more traditional lines of work. So um, if you're a banker, if you work at a bank or you just want to be a banker for your career, you could start off as a teller anywhere. And then at that same company or a different company, you could become a personal banker then from there, you could become an investment banker. Then from there, you can try to get like more of a managerial position over other bankers or while still, you know, being someone that has clients. And there's, there's definitely like a corporate ladder where you can track your progress and you can track people's, uh, level of success that way. Mm -hmm. And I find that for comedy, it's like, it's, it's all over the place because there's no putting two years in and then you get something. There's no like, Oh, at a certain amount of like miles you've, you've been on the road, you get to headline. It's like all, none of that there's no meritocracy to it. And also you can really spin your wheels if you're not careful, because there's some people that do that sort of thing that are like the best open micer you can find, but they're not actually getting any work, but they're Mm -hmm. doing like five or six spots a night. And then maybe, I mean, maybe they're getting very good or maybe they're just repeating the same set five or six times. And then in featuring, you see that where some people are just everyone's feature. And even with headlining to a certain degree, you see people headline in a way that doesn't actually raise their profile at all. So it's like they're just going to sort of headline in this general sphere for ever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, especially I think that sometimes comics, think they're being purists by trying to to cast out anyone who isn't like living the life 24-7 but if you're like a hobbyist that enjoys doing comedy that features sometimes that to me is a success story like i think that stand-ups sort of have a similar uh a sort of similar affection towards pain that actors do (laughs) where like I've known actors who are like I'll move to LA and live in my car and I don't care this is my dream and it's like no one needs you to live in your car right like that's that's literally one sentence of a story in your biography that you don't need like like if you have a day job and are still trying to gig it out there are some people who are going to look down on you for that but it's just being smart it's just like affording yourself every opportunity to to succeed because sometimes you are in that situation where you're in dire straits but then the gigs don't come it's like now what's what's going to happen
0: yeah and
1: so yeah yeah, i feel like burnout specifically is something that i think you also experience when you realize you're spinning your wheels a bit and and i you know it it goes in phases everything in life is not meant to go a hundred percent all the time And we, we very much have like a, like a bit of a hustle culture in stand up where I'm even guilty of it, of just like, what do I need to be doing next? Or like, you know, I, I, anytime I finish a taping, I'm thinking about the next taping. I'm not really like, I I don't even sounds bad to say, but I rarely enjoy myself in an accomplishment. I always enjoy being on stage and I enjoy writing new new jokes and, and sharing them with people. And I enjoy the reaction to some. There's nothing like when something fresh gets like a big laugh and you're like, oh, okay, I'm on to something. Mm-hmm. But as far as the actual accomplishments that would turn into credits, I rarely am like, wow, I did the thing. Huh. I'm more just like, oh, okay, so that one's done. What's the other thing? Yeah. Hey, you're just walking around, sort of collecting Thanos rings, you know. I mean, uh, gemstones. Sorry.
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't understand any of that superhero hero culture. So, uh, luckily, my teen is out of earshot; otherwise, he would berate me. <laughs> so, so me listing off your your credits was really just oh, okay, the reflection of that. Sometimes you don't you don't sit and a, a, acknowledge or admire or you know, appreciate the fact that you've you've accomplished a, a great, great number of things.
1: Yeah, I guess it's it it is. It feels weird because I definitely remember all those things happening,
0: uh-huh. and I
1: remember being excited about them. But they don't like this. Is this might also sound bad? <laughs> uh, I don't as much as we're talking about comedy. I hate to sound like a bummer, but it's like. <laughs> nothing feels like anything in that there's no accomplishment or amount of money that you can make that is going to make you feel different than you felt before. Maybe if you were like on your friend's couch and you were dirt poor and you had no money and then you sign like, you know, a quarter million dollar Netflix deal that that's one thing. Yeah. But, but once you are like reliably working, all of it feels like working and it all feels like fun. Like, I had, I had so much fun doing all those things and still do and still look forward to doing more. Yeah. But I, I think that that's where that, that I think that's where it becomes so important to actually love what you're doing, because no amount of like, because all of those things feel like getting raises, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like,
1: okay, if every year you get a 5% raise, I'm sure it feels good for like a week and then you just keep working. So yeah. if you don't like your job, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm making a little bit more money, but oof, <laughs> I'm hard to get out of bed. Yeah, and it's like that. That thing is where I'm appreciative of how much um, comedy has sort of shaped the way that I think and shaped my life, and and how much fun it is. Because sometimes I do hear back some of those things, and I'm like, oh uh, yeah, I right. <laughs> like. <laughs> doesn't really feel like anything but i remember having fun
0: yeah (laughs) how much time did you spend in chicago
1: i was in chicago for about three years a little over three years
0: wow so i mean you i'm gonna just you know do the the i'm not worthy i'm not worthy i mean that's a pretty meteoric rise to get into Chicago for three years and then New York. How long have you been in New York?
1: New York, this will be in October. It'll be my sixth year. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. So like five years in New York.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. I mean, I just find that super impressive to have uh, spent time in, in a, in a comedy intensive city like Chicago and then make the move to New York, and in six years' time, record a debut album, uh, become a JFL New Faces uh, person. And if you're telling me six years, okay, I'm doing math here in my head. That means that was five years ago. You were a year in Chicago, in New York.
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
0: For, for somebody that's always an object in motion, which is how I'm like. Uh, thinking of you uh, as somebody who's just always an object in motion and, and not necessarily, you know, you're loving what you do. Uh, what is that process of getting that, the, the JFL, the, and then deciding I'm going to, I'm going to do an album, which is fabulous by the way. I was listening to it earlier today.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. Uh, yeah. you know, I think that for the most part it. <laughs> there's, there's hopefully at least how I'd like to see myself. I could be just projecting nonsense, but I think that, that the, hopefully there's an equal amount of patience and persistence because everything I've ever got, this, this is now going to make me sound like a monster, but everything that I've ever got, I wanted at least a year before I got it. Uh So I auditioned for JFL like two times before I actually got it. And I submitted for the comedy central half hour a year before I actually got it. And so, so, you know, as, as fast as things have been happening, you know, there was a slight expectation for them to be happening even faster, which is a little bit delusional, but I think that it's important to have in any, not, not even art. I think that everybody would hopefully be a little bit uh, of a mix between confident and delusional in something that they believe that they can do. I think that obviously too much delusion leads a person to just not even have a grip on reality. But I think that like, you have to will and work so much into existence out of thin air, especially when, like we said, there's not a corporate ladder to climb. So you have to decide I want to make this thing. It's going to do this well and i want this other thing and they're gonna have to pick me for it so that one's not i not in my control and so all these different things are, are are happening and you have to have the little bit of delusion to believe you can get something you don't yet have and then yeah. you also have to be patient enough to accept when you don't get it because i've been rejected for plenty of things and then i was patient enough and persistent enough to reapply or try again, or go a different way. Like some things, you know, no matter how much you want them, you just have to go around. Like there there are some people who I'm just not gonna be for. And so if they're gatekeepers of any kind, then I just need to go around them and either go to like the next publication or the next outlet or the next uh, uh, like the next network or the next, you know, person to 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 work with. And, and so, realizing that like, n- not very much is close to you. Like if you have an internet connection <laughs> and you're in any ways healthy, it's an, it's incredible how much of the world is at your disposal, you know, like your, y- your life and your health leads to endless possibility, no matter what it is you want to do. And so I think that being in Chicago, I don't even know how it really happened, but I think I was very blessed to to interact with some people who were teaching me those lessons throughout the time that I was living there. And you're also talking about the end of someone's formative years. It's like I went to college in Louisiana, but then first time out on my own is in this new city doing this new thing. So, you know, I have a day job to get by, but then the rest of the time I'm spending, I'm spending around all these people who, you know, if I... I, I think about this all the time. If I had lived in a slightly different area of Chicago, if I had worked at a different place, if I, all this other stuff, I would have had very different people around me. And as much as you want to be your own island in your mind, you are susceptible to influence. And so I was luckily influenced by really great people, really thoughtful and kind people that that didn't just support me, but but shaped the way that I think about the things that I want out of life. And so that I was able to bring that to New York and, and then be a little bit older to discern who are the people I want around me and who are the people that it's best to keep a little bit of distance from, because not that everything is about gaining uh, notoriety or wealth, but it's like, who is going to support you on the climb and who's going to bring you down? Who's, who is going to help you make lateral moves and who's going to, help you increase your understanding and your like uh, sense of empathy, because I think that empathy is one of the best tools to making great lasting comedy. I think that if people can't see themselves in what you're talking about, mm-hmm. then at best you're gonna tell a funny enough story that's wacky and crazy enough that instead of laughing out of recognition, they laugh about how absurd it is. But no matter what comic you look at, all of the greats were through connection. And it's not necessarily a connection with everybody. There's some people who very much just connect with their fan base, but even those are a deeper and stronger connection than the people who, um, reach broadly. And so, yeah, I think, I think that for the most part I've been just, I, I, can't, I can't, uh, I, I, I can't take credit for anything without giving credit for how, uh, blessed I was to have people around me that wanted to help me or wanted to give me opportunities. And then, yeah, sure. Once I have the opportunity, I take it very seriously, but you know, some people don't get that. Some people don't even get that much of someone giving them a chance to do something.
0: Right. You've had some amazing opportunities with being on Conan and, and Jimmy Fallon and becoming a writer with The daily show. Oh, Do you have, a, uh, of those three, uh, let's see, what do I, how do I wanna ask, Well, what do I wanna ask? Uh, I'm just gonna s- jump ahead to the question that I really wanna ask because uh, we've been binging, watching some of the, the, the clips that are out on you know, the, the World Wide Web, and you're such a great performer, and as a writer, it's clear that you are a very good writer because you wouldn't be as good of a performer if you weren't a good writer. Do you uh, do you have do you vacillate between loving performing on a stage versus loving writing for this entity, The Daily Show?
1: Um, I think I think I just look at them as two so totally different things. Because to me, it's like, it's like if you were to ask me, do I like working out or do I like going to the movies? And it's like, oh, both, (laughs) like both, like both are great, but for very different reasons. I think that when you're writing, you, especially when you're writing for someone else and, and in another person's voice, whether it's one of the correspondents or Trevor, it is, it is so important. Important to remember that it's flexing a different muscle and and helping you tell overall in in the way that you can tell a story becomes broader because you have to learn to not just see things the way that you see them. And I and I find that like whether it's stand-up or just in polite conversation, most people have a hard time having a real conversation. Most conversations that people engage in are them bouncing all of their ideas back onto themselves off of another person Mm -hmm. it's why it's so hard to change someone's mind about something or get them to see your perspective on something because i don't even know if it's something that should be taught in schools or i don't know why but most of us will never have a true idea shifting and changing and exchanging conversation because people just really bring so much of whatever it is they think is already right about the world. Mm -hmm. And then they either agree with you or disagree with you based off of all of those preconceived notions. And instead of having a conversation that's free flowing, it's almost like a, a funnel into a filter. And so every once in a while, a drip of something gets through where you're like, oh, I guess I never thought of it like that. But more often than not, people leave most conversations wholly unchanged. And I'm not saying that change is always a good thing, um, but I think that the ability to engage in that way is is so important. And so when I'm writing for a different person, it helps me do that because I really have to take myself out of it. Mm -hmm. I can still keep myself in the conversation of what I think is funny, but I have to take myself out of how I would say it, how I would perform it, how I would word it. Because the other thing about working at a late night show, no matter where you are, is that it is, it, everything you do is going to be potentially edited. You'd have to write some true masterpieces of work to not have any editing all the way to it being on screen. But th- when I'm doing stand-up, it's that different thing, like I mentioned before, where I can so completely and honestly be myself in a way that if I were to say some of the things that I think or think are funny or want to share with people in polite company, I'd be a crazy person. That's why we, like, like stand-up is, is a sacred place. A comedy club is a sacred place where we have conversations and we share ideas that would be out, insane to share outside of that place, you know? Sure. If I yeah. were to talk, and I'm not even someone who is that controversial but I can even recognize that if I were to talk out in the world the way that I talk on stage I would at least be perceived as off I wouldn't like maybe maybe I wouldn't be you know ostracized but I'd at least be like that's weird and that and to be fair that's where I come from so then I had to learn what was you know what was for polite conversation and what was for jokes for later I still make jokes in my everyday life, but I think that if you're really gonna explore an idea that is maybe in Sydney area is not the right word, but it like if you're gonna explore an idea that's a bit um a bit of a tightrope if you don't say it right, you are at least allowed the leniency of being on stage when you do it in stand-up and you also like, this is this, you get a little bit of that when you're writing for another person. If another person has a voice that is a, a bit more, maybe bombastic or, or a bit more um, in your face, you can actually write to that in a way where I've written jokes for people that I would never feel comfortable saying myself. Uh-huh. Not saying I don't believe those things, but I don't have as, as an, an abrasive of a nature as sometimes a story calls for or a personality calls for whether I'm no matter what show or person I'm writing for being able to write for other people allows you to stretch and it allows you to like sometimes engage in ideas that normally wouldn't wouldn't maybe even sound the best coming from you
0: yeah it's kind of the analogy would be doing a total body workout as opposed to just Uh, just doing bicep curls all the time by by working other muscles you're you're strengthening the whole
1: yeah no absolutely
0: so continuing with the theme of an object in motion and the different types of things that your comedy path has taken you on you're uh, you're you've decided to take on something new and different not just a second a, a second, well, a second alb comedy album but infusing music into your album and that gets us to this upcoming release of your your uh, second album your sophomore album uh so i as with most of the this time you know i'm turning it over to you to tell us about what what was the spark for for uh, for this idea,
1: yeah, I, I so basically in the in the the year that twenty twenty was, it allowed for a lot of things as much as it took away most of the obvious luxuries of, of being in the modern world. You know, it's like yeah, we couldn't we couldn't go out, we couldn't be with as many friends and everything. But I I both had a like had a convention con- conviction and saw an opportunity to use that time to reach out to people who would normally be too busy or I just wouldn't have access to because the benefit of everyone being at home last year and sort of stuck was that like now there are people who I've always wanted to work with that I imagine are just as stuck as I am. And uh-huh. so I just I reached out to some different artists that I've, I've always really enjoyed and brought them in and and we create this mixtape that is gonna be about equal parts comedy and music every few tracks we'll take a quick break from the stand-up and introduce a song and the song is sort of a summation of the last jokes that were just told and so there's two arcs to the overall project the first arc is about um love especially love in a in in like a modern sense because I think that all of the all of the steps in a relationship that I'm talking about in the project are they're they're pretty uh timeless but you know we we start out with that first arc being meeting someone and like those, those rose tinted glasses you see everything through because nothing really matters and you're just getting to know this person. So right now they have no flaws and they're just fun to be around. And, and yeah. then you move into the, the second track that is that is basically about how the second music track is basically about how you find out what a person is really like. And then the third one is where you you start to lose a little bit of control and track of where the relationship is going. And then the fourth music track is more about figuring out what that amount of um, uh, relationship means to you and that amount of connection means to you and if it's worth keeping or not. And so those songs make up the first arc and all the way through in between those songs, I'm doing jokes about how not just the pandemic, but about how I've had relationships and how they've worked out and everything because I I felt like the comedy is very personal, but the music is easier for anyone to digest that may not connect with the jokes as much. And the music is going to be more timeless than the comedy will because the, the comedy is so focused on the sort of year we had as a world that I think that long after we've sort of, uh, we've sort of shaken off that, that, that extra skin and we've we've left that shell behind the music will be there to be a a bit of a timeless reminder of everything and so it you know it serves like a dual purpose um and then the second arc is basically the the track of how the year went you know like i'd like to think that we did a good job of sequencing the album i mean the mixtape to the point where it is kind of a mirror of 2020 in that the first part is very optimistic and, and very fun. And then the second part gets far more serious and still ends on a hopeful note to the point where we are now, where there's you know vaccines and, and people are able to open up their businesses again and everything. And we're hopefully looking at like an, an economic upswing and, and some hopefully changed policies based off of the year that we had and creation of social safety nets so that some people won't be as displaced by not being able to work for one week. And then all of a sudden they're on the street or something. like, I, I think that, you know, we all came together to put our parts in to make this overall mixtape, um, something that people can really see themselves in.
0: Yeah. I, uh, trying to remember the, the, Paste Magazine did a really nice uh, article. They included in that article the a couple of tracks, a comedic track, and I think maybe one or two of the musical tracks. And when I listened to the, the musical track, you know, I could definitely see that standing on its own. And I think people who are uh, listening to this conversation and thinking, "Oh, it's music and comedy." when i think of artists who are comics who do music albums there's parody and mm. it's a funny ha-ha music uh, album that they're putting together and maybe it was just the tracks that i listened to but i don't think that's the the sense at all i mean to to affirm what you have just said yeah that the music component can stand on its own it could have been its own just music albums so it's a very interesting uh, approach to releasing entertainment um so that there's a flavor of your comedy there's a flavor of of music
1: yeah and, and i i wanted to i mean i don't even know how to put that out there I, <laughs> I think that it's it's honestly just gonna be a thing where once it's out and people can listen to it for themselves they'll realize it because i think that a lot of people think all the music is going to be like a joke or something mm-hmm. but it you know it, not only is it sincere it's, it's being done with in my opinion the best artists that are that are out right now that people don't have as much of a clue who they are is you know we i worked with Groovebox, groove box who's in chicago and he actually did the first four tracks and did that whole uh concentration of that arc that i was talking about uh-huh. And then I got to work with some amazing jazz and funk artists in, in Brooklyn. Um, Wayne Tucker did the, the vocals on a track that we sort of co-wrote and is, is later on in the mixtape. But that was the other thing is that I I don't know about you, but I really thought 2020 was going to be worse than it was. Like I was like, oh, this might be the end of the world. So I might yeah. as well do whatever it is I've ever wanted to do. And I've always wanted to write music and and co-write lyrics and produce and everything. And so this was also my first endeavor into that. And I think that because I'm known so much for stand-up, eventually people will hopefully recognize that I do these other things. But I am not in any way uh, surprised that it's going to take a little bit of time. I don't don't even know if it – I imagine it will take – two more mixtapes before people realize it's a thing that I do. Mm. I think that because so much of my career has been so stand-up and comedy oriented to expect people to just make this shift with me would be delusional in the way that's not good. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I welcome all of the, all of the questions that people have. And like, even some of the confusion, because I understand that it is a, it's almost a hyperbolic take on the reversal of what a lot of 90s hip-hop was. A lot of hip-hop albums had skits in between and everything. And this is almost a complete reversal of that, but taken to another level because these are like jokes that I I worked on very hard and were, were telling specifically to get certain points across. And then... There's music that that even helps aid that point further and is something like like you said and like I'm intending can be enjoyed later in a way that is completely independent of the stand up.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that something that you think was intentional, that that, that there was a little bit of a, a, a callback or a hailing of something that was so common in, in the, the 90s?
1: Um, a little bit. I think that for the most part, I try to do things that I just haven't seen myself being done. Yeah. And so for me, outside of some, some, some projects in the same vein, I've personally never seen anything like what I'm putting out. Yeah. And so I, I am aware of some comedians who have done music and it was more serious. And like, then I'm aware of some people who do both, but have never released a project that is both. And then other people who, you know, do music, but have skits in between or whatever. And so as far as the exact cocktail that I've created, especially something that is as genre bending as you'll get throughout it, because there's there's r and there's funk, there's Negro spirituals, and then there's traditional hip hop. I think that I haven't seen that done. And, you know, if, if it is, then I'd love to know, because I'm sure I would enjoy that person's project, because yeah. they're, they're thinking on the same wavelength that I'm thinking, or me to them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's always been my goal to as much as I want to establish myself in a more conventional way. And, you know, obviously I want to do all the late nights and I want to get all the specials and all that stuff. I do want to have a catalog that is, that is full of things that I was either the first to do, or I was one of very few who did. And this helps me build that up. And I think that, you know, there's more on the way, there's more coming that I think people will vibe with. And and that's why, it felt like 2020 was the year to make it because it was, it was honestly do whatever you want. And, and I mean, to a certain degree we should all treat every year like 2020 is just do whatever it is you want. Like I thought I might sure. die. So I made oh. this project. So like, yeah. you know, I think that that's how a person should live. So I, I hope people enjoy it. You know, I made it for people to enjoy.
0: Yeah.
1: But if nothing else I have, nine tracks that I know I love as a playlist. So,
0: yeah. And, and are you going to let yourself uh, enjoy the credit for, for being uh, somebody who has created this very unique piece of recording?
1: I mean, maybe, probably <laughs> not. <but laughs> honestly, the, the, all the joy that I get out of the mixtape is the songs being finished. I like my stand-up. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm both not really, I might, I might sound weird saying this, but it's like, I'm both not um, counting myself out, but I'm not in love with myself. It's like, it's like sometimes I will hear a joke that I said before, either someone will be playing it while I'm around or something, or like, I'll like, for instance, in going through, there's still some, some last minute stuff being handled for the, mixtape so i'll listen through a couple times and sometimes i'll re-crack myself up with a joke but not hard like (laughs) that that'd be insane if i was like ah maybe oh geez but also i'm not um i still think it's it's really good the work that i do so all of the joy that i get out of the mixtape is the collaborations that i got to make and the relationships that i got to start and the music that came out of it and so listening back to some of that is honestly like the dream like that. Hmm. That's where even better than any credit or anything is like this piece of art that I know I had a hand in. And it's actually it actually exists. And so, you know, I want to share it with people and share it with as many people as possible. And hopefully they receive it well. But like I said, even. No matter what happens, it's like I already got this this amazing feeling of while we were producing all of it, we were finishing different songs at different times. So then there'd be like four songs done and I would just listen to those four songs on repeat all day because I was just like falling in love with them. Because it's also easier to fall in love with because it's not me. Like it's not, it's not like my voice that's singing that I'm falling in love with. It's uh-huh. like my friends that are really talented or, you know, like there's... Especially with the funk track, there were there were like little moments that were inserted in there of, of of instruments where I'm like, that was brilliant to put that there, and it wasn't even my idea. It was like, oh wow, this is great, and so I think that that's all the joy that I'm gonna get from it. You know,
0: <laughs> at least there there will be joy. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. noticed I noticed on your website that you are uh, hitting the road. You're you've got some tour dates. Uh, on your, your upcoming calendar. And mm. I'm curious, is there going to be some kind of intersection between you doing your tour dates and this album?
1: I mean, so for the most part, anytime time that I plan on having music at one of my shows performed will give a, a very big sign warning everything because just because I always want people to know what they're signing up for when they buy a ticket Mm -hmm. and for the most part I think that the fairest thing to do is just be very um direct with people so as of right now especially as we all get back on our feet touring wise and everything as things are opening up with limited capacity there's not going to be any music at my tour date shows just yet but when there is, I definitely plan to let everyone know and, and make a big deal about it and let them know who's coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that would be a really cool experience to see that live, you know, the coming yeah. together of two art forms.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, Josh, we are uh, nearly at, at our time. And that is, it has uh, been really cool getting, getting to know you. I, uh, Robert, who helped arrange this, he, he mentioned how philosophical you got and i definitely feel like i've I've taken a philosophy class and
1: (laughs) oh that's very (laughs) high
0: yeah Uh, i saw some of those tour dates and i'm like those are the types of venues that you know seems like austin would be on your radar i hope that austin will will be on your radar either this summer or i i guess back with right is writing a, a year round or do you get the summer breaks
1: uh, it's year round, but we do get a lot of breaks. And so, you know, Austin is definitely a place that I plan on coming to. It's mostly just about what fits with wherever I need to be yeah, at, yeah. at certain times. And so, you know, I would love to fill up the, the whole calendar, but I also have to, I have certain responsibilities that I have to like keep in mind throughout yeah. booking so, you know, that's why sometimes they trickle in a little slower.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I will definitely be keeping an eye out for you to come to Austin. Uh, I, was, I was watching uh, the Catfishing the KKK, and my son came in to watch. That's available. On, you can see that on, on YouTube. And my son came in. It was about probably in the last, it's a 15-minute bit. And my son came in at the last five minutes and i he was like transfixed and i and i when we finished watching it i said that is so impressive because i'm usually out after 2 or 3 minutes of anything mm. sure. and i was transfixed myself for that whole 15 minute story and i was just like i can't believe i'm getting to talk to this person who oh, is well, so like that's such a talent and then now layer on the the, the the music and the comedy album coming out it's uh it's been really cool to, to get to talk to you
1: you too thank yeah. you so much yeah. i appreciate it
0: so are there any other projects or things that you want people to know about you before i i do my little closing bit um
1: i think you said them all up top honestly you know <laughs> uh i i have a podcast that comes out weekly with my friend Logan and we go on the road together. We're actually going to be on the road together June 10th to the 13th at Zaney's in Rosemont. And we, we record the show and put out episodes every, every week. And that's a, that's one of my babies because I love talking to Logan and we tell each other stories, both about comedy and about um, just in general, life stories and everything. And we, share our perspectives. And then other than that, there's gonna be more down the line to watch out for that I'll have coming out this year. So I'm, I'm excited to share more of it as it, more, as it becomes more concrete.
0: Yeah, all right, fantastic. Well, uh, I have a, a final question for you before we, we uh, wrap this up. Are you ready? Yeah. One word to describe your future
1: um okay oh geez uh i'll pick a i'll pick a big word uh, uh phenomenal
0: <laughs> i like it uh, i th- i think i mean i think it's been uh your recent past too so yeah that is a good yeah, word thank you <laughs> that is a wrap on comedy Wham presents Josh Johnson. Tell us where we can find you on social media and uh, tell us uh, where we can find that uh, elusive mixed tape when it comes out.
1: So if you're looking for me on Instagram, I'm on Instagram at Josh Johnson comedy, Twitter at Josh Johnson, Facebook at Josh J comedy and YouTube at Josh Johnson comedy. And then the mixtape will be out wherever you listen to music. It's going to be on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Deezer, all the stuff.
0: Okay, very good.
1: June 11th.
0: June 11th. Fantastic. And my son is a Spotify uh, premium person. So he's going to be downloading that (laughs) so he can listen to it, I'm sure. You have a new fan. You have, you know, 14-year-old fans.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Josh got to be the comedic genius just as much as I have. Uh, This has been Comedy Wham Presents. Josh Johnson. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Josh.
1: Thank you.